So, Russ, you are just so welcome. You're a fabulous friend to me and also to the well. So do come forward, and I'd love to pray for you. Russ has now sort of left ACORN. Well, you have, haven't you? You've got connections still. But he's roaming the world. He has a world brief. And I can't think of a better person to do that because you just have such a, a great teaching uh, gift as well as encouragement. Let me pray for you. So, Father God, thank you for this opportunity that we have of all being together today. Thank you for Russ, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to him through the years. Thank you for the gifts of teaching and encouragement and inspiration that you've given to him. Lord, come now and just mm-hmm. fill him up to overflowing. Lord, your will be done in his life today. In Jesus' name, amen. Excellent. Good morning. Well, what an introduction. Thank you very much. Would you stand? Uh, put all your books down, please. Just for a moment. You're probably thinking, oh no. It's one of them days where he gets us doing stuff, and I've just been rowing with my husband for the last half an hour, and now I've got to turn and be holy. Goodness me. God's probably going to come and rain just on my corner of the room. Well, thank God for grace. He does not treat us as we deserve, but as He chooses. Just lay hands on the person next to you, would you please? This is what we call a responsorial prayer. The the one condition is uh, just mean it as best you can, that is. Okay, if you close your eyes, because I get intimidated when 200 pairs of eyes are glaring at me. I think this is almost the first step into incorporating the prophetic in how we pray for people. So we've had some wonderful worship that brought us to the feet of Christ and we feel his presence amongst us. And our focus rightly and truly is on him. But we also want to take what he gives and serve the needs of others so we don't just get fat and selfish. So can you focus as you lay hands on that one person, or if you're a trio, breaking my rules already, it don't matter, but just focus, even if you don't know them. Scripture is full of references to God beholding us. So behold the person next to you, even if you know not about them, as we say. Give yourself permission to become aware of uh, how it feels, what you're thinking. But have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus, who actually wanted to be the best servant for humanity that he could be. So will you copy Jesus for a moment and be the best servant for the humanity you're laying hands on right now? And follow me in this simple prayer. I lay hands on you now and say, Behold the love of Jesus for you. Let it come deep to you. Let it open you. Let it reach the parts that need to be reached. And in the name of Jesus, I call you again to life. Be opened. Be receptive. receptive. And let the King of Glory come in. And And I bless this to you now. now. 
In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And now do the next best thing in the healing ministry and let them go. Okay. And be seated, please. And thank you. There will be ministry opportunities I'd like to invite you in. Very simple things, because I'm not one of these profound merchants. I'm, I'm an ex-bus conductor from Birkenhead, which is ideal training for the ministry. Did you know that? Well, the first thing is you're always taking money off people. And the second thing is you're always taking them for a ride. Well, I'm hoping the ride today is a righteous ride and that we'll journey somewhere worth going today and that we'll meet and encounter Jesus as we do this. And not just for a one-off thing here in the oasis of this day. And thank God for oases. But he'll give us the capacity to take home and give away what he gives us here today. And so may the tidal wave of his spirit spread out. When Anne asked me for a title for this day, what do you want to talk on? I foolishly said, well, how about the prophetic? Uh, But in the context of prayer ministry. It's something I kind of got involved in. And I keep turning around and saying to myself, how did I get here? Uh, What does this mean? And how can I share this? So you're my first experimentees. Because I have never spoken on this connection, although I practice it regularly in my ministry now. So let me give you, if you like, a launch pad text from Scripture that ropes us all in to the purposes of God. And it's that familiar opening of a sermon from Acts chapter 2, reading at verse 14. I don't think anybody was more surprised than Peter that he got up and said what he said. Uh, This was his first public communication, and it's a beaut, isn't it? Where did he get this prophetic eloquence from? There's not one reference, I think, to fishing tackle in it uh, at all. It just all comes from somewhere else because the Spirit is upon him. And when the Spirit is upon us, we step out of our comfort zones into God's comfort zones. I'm not one of these merchants who wants to describe Christian ministry as jumping out of a plane without a parachute. That's called suicide, incidentally. Nor do I believe it's a leap from the dark. Uh, I, th- I think it's uh, a leap in the dark, sorry. I think it's a leap from the dark uh, into his light. I think he's a great believer. You won't like this, some of you who prefer a more chandelier swinging kind of dynamic, but I believe in a God who likes us to be safe and secure. I really believe this. Do you know something? I've learned a little lesson from this over 40 years of being involved in the healing ministry you will attempt greater things for God if you feel safe. You will open at better depths if you feel well held. Yes? You know what I'm talking about in terms of ministry when you're wondering, do I tell this person my deep, dark terror? And if they're having a go at me in Jesus' name, I batten the hatches. I'm not telling them a thing. But someone who holds me well and we built some kind of trust with Jesus' trust in the middle of it, I might just risk it. And so safety is is not, uh, if you like, a way of dampening down the power of the Holy Spirit. I think it's quite the reverse. I think it's about releasing it. I'm not surprised, incidentally, the Holy Spirit came after it had been sitting down a while 
in Acts chapter 2. Not running around saying, come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. They're just sitting. And the King James Version says, of one accord. There was something about the Holy Spirit bringing them to a place of coherence and unity. And so he comes. So don't knock the safety and security elements in the healing ministry. And so Peter steps up out of that context and says this amongst other things. He stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. So we know he's shouting because there are thousands of them. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people aren't drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and the billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. How about that for your first sermon? And he's just getting started, incidentally, revving up his motors. And I love the reference to full inclusivity. We're so used to it in our modern society. Men and women and equal opportunities. I know we're still working at it to roll it out and and mean what we say in a number of departments. We get there eventually, don't we? But right from here, this would be absolutely mind-boggling for the guys in the congregation on the streets that day. Men and women will prophesy on men and women the Holy Spirit will be poured and you will prophesy. And I love that reference, of course, to dreams and visions. And when it says old men, do you imagine retired army colonels sitting by the fire talking about how they would have fought the Gulf War? Oh yes, I would have done it this way. And so God gives dreams to people who are past it in our congregation, just to amuse you for a little while. We'll give you a little dreamy thingy. And you can just sit there and go, oh, yes, I had this dream. But you know in the Greek, because I know you're fascinated by the Greek, but you know the Greek word that's used here to translate the Hebrew word is the word presbuteroi, which we translate as elder or bishop. Well, we won't go down to bishop row. That's a bit too exclusive, even for today. But an elder is someone who's at their, their, if you like, uh, peak of maturity and wisdom. Your best men will dream dreams. And your younger people will see visions. And you will all prophesy. And I love that outcoming. I want to spend this first session then just unpacking some of the elements to help us recognize the prophetic so that when it comes our way, we'll get the bus number right, as we say. I used to be a student in Manchester University some years ago, and um, we had a healing service in the Theological Students Fellowship. Uh, I went along, like most new students do, 
This is incidentally 1980. And uh, they were talking on the theology of healing, which I thought was great. And at the end of it, we were invited to the student bar. And I said, just before we go, seeing we've been spending a lot of time encouraging people about the fact that God heals, should we invite people who wish it to receive prayer for healing? Ooh, ooh, they said, we don't know about that. And uh, one lady, Lydia her name was, jumps up and says, I desperately need prayer. I'm going to have to quit my college course because uh, I've been told in the last few weeks that the hole in the heart that I was born with has actually been enlarging. And my life expectancy as a result has been shortened to a matter of months. She was 20 years old. And one of the people who was there saying, well, that's a bit steep to pray for that first time. (laughs) Loved the honesty. You were thinking it, but he said it. (laughs) And of course, I'm not there incidentally thinking, I can do this. I've been in the healing ministry and I've read all the books and John Wimber writes to me for advice. It's nothing like that. (laughs) I I just want to be honest with you because you you can't fool around in the healing ministry. Do you feel this sometimes? Do you feel the power of people's wounds? Do you? I hope to God you do. That's called empathy. You're being in touch with and it does something to you. Uh, It can either reduce your faith if you give it that kind of shock impact, or it can make you say, oh God, do your stuff. I can't, but I believe you can, and I want you to. So we prayed for Lydia, and she's still alive and has a family of her own today. So I praise God for that. We then were asked to do weekly healing services in the University of Manchester, which is where I was. And the I want to just share one particular story because I want to tease out some elements to have reference for today. But I was asked if I would pray with a a lady who would then be, say, 40. And her Christian name is Sue. I have her permission to tell her story, not her surname. She had done the rounds of going for prayer ministry here, there, and everywhere. And I think everybody who had prayed for her did their best. Okay. Uh, And I'm not going to set myself up as but they didn't come to me, did they? I have the Heineken model of praying for healing. You know, it reaches parts that others don't. (laughs) Do you know sometimes why God answers your prayers for healing? Because somebody else has been praying for that person also. And God's been building them up. And you're just the last piece in the, the process, not the only piece. Wise up sometimes. Would I pray for Sue? She has this attitude in her life that, deeply distresses her. She has two daughters. One is seven and one is four. And they do what girls do. They mess around and she wants to strangle the living daylights out of the seven-year-old. And when the four-year-old does exactly what the seven-year-old does, says, isn't she cute? And the seven-year-old, she had to be dragged off more than once. Because when I say she wanted to strangle her, I mean precisely that. This deep, dark, venomous hatred would come up inside of Sue. And her husband, who was a uh, FIC minister, evangelical pastor, Protestant, had to drag his wife off his seven-year-old daughter on more than one occasion. So she'd had deliverance prayer ministry, which made her, incidentally, more angry. 
Uh, she'd explored all the options and was, I think, frankly, getting very depressed and heard about these healing services. And could she come? Of course she could. And as we were praying before the service started, I got two words that just were given to me. It's like they were shoved up my nose, given to me. Not just, ooh, fancy that thought. It was kind of authoritatively put in my face. And the words were forceps delivery. And when she came for prayer ministry, this is what I didn't do. She came in and shared her story. I didn't say, the Lord told me that forceps delivery is the significant piece in your puzzle. He showed it to me while I was at prayer. He does this occasionally and gave me this revelation. I mean, you don't find the prophets talking about how they got words too much in the Bible, do you? Just that that they got them. So just be aware of the tendency to put the spotlight on how spiritual you are as a precursor to praying with people. If you've been given a word, give it. But as she came through the door, my guidance was a kind of check in my spirit. It went like this, shut up, which for a scouser is not good news. So she starts telling me this story. I'd heard the outline of it before. And as she told me this story, she said this with her body. So so I did a little simple piece of listening and reflecting back. What's all this about? She said, I've just, well, she said, I've just remembered conversations I have with my mother. Oh, yes, I said, what's that about? She said, my mum and I argue a lot. And I never win an argument with my mum, never. I said, really? No, she said, she always has the last word. Come for healing later, okay. She always has the last word, and it's the same word. And I said, what's that? My mum says, even when I'm winning the argument, and you can finish this one off for me if you like, you don't know what I went through bringing you into this world, having you. Are you going down memory lane? And all of that. And she couldn't argue with that. And she said, you know, I, apparently I nearly killed my mom. I, I was born by forceps, delivery, you know. And bells go off inside of me. And it was like the Holy Spirit was saying, this is now your cue. The prophetic word I gave you and the timing of sharing it is now. And so I didn't say, do you know before you came here this evening and I was praying for you, I got this word forceps delivery and you've just mentioned the word forceps delivery and all this incidentally is called spiritual priding myself and preening myself. You've got to watch, Satan loves us to self-advertise our spiritual prowess in front of people we're trying to care for. We need to take hold of God's word and apply it. And so I felt when the bells are going off inside of me, this is the place. So I said, and so when you say to me, you remember the rows and arguments you have with your mum, who tells you that you don't know what I went through, and you add the fact it was born by forceps delivery, has that got anything at all to do with your seven-year-old? I'm an idiot, she says. She was born by forceps delivery, not the four-year-old. But the seven-year-old, so I said, and she reminds me of my mother putting me down all these years. 
And actually what Sue worked out, it's not her seven-year-old she wants to strangle to death. It's who? It's her mum. But we call this projection in the trade. And she had kind of projected it on the daughter who's a living reminder. She couldn't help it. But this happens because we live in a fallen world, don't we? I can guarantee you one thing from sin. It produces chaos. And this is what happens here. And so she saw the connections that she was making. Oh God, she said, what can I do about this? And we went through a number of issues which you'll appreciate. I can't go into all the details of, but we went through uh, forgiveness and renunciation. We prayed the Holy Spirit into the forgotten remembering of the baby that Sue once was when she was born. That was the most dramatic piece it was a kind of generational healing piece that we finished with. Because I said, if you were born in pain and the threat of death, that's been around your consciousness before you knew the meaning of the word. So why don't we ask the Holy Spirit, who called Jeremiah to be a prophet, incidentally, when he was still inside his mother's womb, and filled John the Baptist with the Holy Spirit while he was still inside his mother's womb. I'm dead jealous of that. You know, I try people pray over me and go into waiting rooms when I was baptized in the Holy Spirit 50-something years ago. John the Baptist, he gets zapped when he's a six-month-old pre-birth some person. How easy did he have it then? But mind you, look what he had to face. So we prayed into these, if you like, primal moments, just saying, Lord Jesus, you know all about the pain. You were there. Our times are in your hands. So go into all the pain and threats of death that surrounded the forceps delivery of Sue and also her own daughter. And do you remember that movie with Charlie Heston in called The Agony and the Ecstasy where he, he pay, played the role of um, Michelangelo? Well, I saw the agony and the ecstasy in one continuous hymn as Sue let out this belching scream I was quite taken aback by it, to be honest, because I, I was hoping we were going to have a bit of uh, Laudate Domine, but out comes this great big scream. And he was, oh, and then it ended in tongues, something she'd never experienced before. And it was a wonderful healing, and it was a transformation in her life, a beginning of ministry of healing in her life, where she lived near Manchester, and her behavior patterns with her daughters were dramatically altered. Uh, she said, you know, I embarrassed my older daughter. I don't, can't remember her older daughter's name, but I, I went home from the session with you and I knelt down in front of my seven-year-old and I said, I want you to forgive me for all the pain I've put you through. It's not your fault. It was just something that got a hold of me and Jesus got a hold of it, blah, 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 you know. And I said, oh, that was so good of you to do that. Did your daughter understand the single word? She put her hands on me. She'd probably seen her father do this in church. She put her hands on me at seven years of age and says to me, Mother, I forgive you in Jesus' name. And had a good cry. What do I want to take out of this story? I've taken time uh, in developing with you. Well, I think that the connection between prophetic wordings and seeings, pictures if you like, dreams and visions, need to be connected more to the process of praying for healing. There's two kinds of prophecy, it seems to me, in Scripture. The one that people stand up and say to groups or churches or nations in terms of 
uh, national prophets. We don't have any of them, sadly. But I think there's another kind of prophecy uh, that needs to be recovered in the life and ministry of the church. And that is those times when God wants to give us insights as we're praying, not necessarily waiting before, although that's always a good thing to do. And I found in the process of from that moment with Sue Milnes in my life, because I was so struck by the gift of those words, that I said to God, any more you want to give me, I'll do my very best to own them and give them away, as and when they come. And I found that God started to develop this in me. I'm a director of Christian Healing Ministries, which still supports the ministry of Francis and Judith McNutt. Francis is 91 years of age now, and he can't stand when he preaches, he sits. He can't sing very well either, but when he sings in tongues, the congregation weeps. It's either because he's a bad singer. (laughs) Stop, stop. But it's because of the release of the Spirit. And he's been ailing physically um, for some years, if truth be told. And when my wife and I, Roz, went to to speak at a conference with him in Vermont a few years ago, about, say, a comfortable thousand people at this conference, and a ministry team of 300 people, he said, before we pray for people in the, the conference, we're going to pray for the ministry team first. So with all the ministry team, please come forward. And will Russ and Roz come and join Judith and I? And uh, my wife, Roz, is a beautiful woman, and you won't mind me telling you this, she was stepping out of her comfort zones at this time. So around the front we went, all the while whispering to me, I'll lay hands on them with you, but I'm not saying a word. Okay by me. So we come, and Francis just said, we're just going to do simple prayers. In fact, uh, let's not talk at all. Let's just pray in tongues over them. Uh, I'll just pray a blessing over them, because there's 300 of them. So we start in. About a minute after this, I saw Francis and Judith leaving the room. So there's me and my silent wife, who's praying, by the way. And what's left of the ministry team is they're all going down like we're knocking them down, either because it's the Holy Spirit or because they think it's the thing to do, because others are going down. It happens, doesn't it? Got to be honest with this stuff. It happens. And God can even work with that, by the way. He is that good. Thank goodness and thank God. And so I said, Francis and Judith has left. It's just me and you and the mob. And they were stepping over the bodies, the ministry team coming for their session with the other great crowd hustling behind them. I panicked. I thought, what on earth can we do here? Should we pray silently? Because we can't get through all this lot ourselves. And as I started to think of a simple one-liner to pray, God started giving me almost biographical details of the people who were stood there in front of us. They weren't wearing name badges, but I got their names. It was an extraordinary time. And as I started saying, oh, well, Bill, they got down they went. And we had a lot of testimony at the end of the conference of how God had done some soul surgery with a lot of these people. So over the years, and I can't turn it on like a tap, You can't, but as you keep yourself open and available to God, it becomes part of the norm. And like everything norm, it's not 24-7. It's got a dotted line as opposed to a continuous, never-ending line. (coughs) Excuse me. 
So you have to grow this ability, not just think that you're some kind of old-fashioned dolly and God sticks a cassette of ministry in your back and you just pull up one of these cords and you start going, in the name of Jesus, I say. You have to kind of find the way it works for you, but you have to make a beginning. And hopefully we'll make a beginning. I'll settle for that uh, here today. The other piece I wanted to just extract uh, from this is timing. I'm so glad God started with me by giving me something and telling me to shut your mouth and wait. Because sometimes we get charismatic verbal diarrhea, don't we? And the minute we get something, we think we've got to give it. And there are times when that's not the case. And so always cultivate a kind of listening aspect, that sensing, is it for now or do I hold it, as many prophets did. So let's move into a bit of teaching now on the back of that story and on the back of that opening scripture. Prophecy like all charisms or charismatic gifts, is a work of the Holy Trinity. Now, this might sound like a boring, dry piece of theology uh, to give to you, but I'm excited when the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit want to give you a gift. Not just the Father, not just the Holy Spirit, not just the Son on a good day or a bad day, but the Holy Trinity. And uh, when Paul writes about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, uh, sorry, chapter 12, he puts it like this. Now, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service or ways of giving away those gifts, but it's the same Lord Jesus. And there are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God, the Father, who's at work. So every time you sang in the Spirit, spoke in tongues, used the gift of faith that you were given, shared a word of knowledge or wisdom or prophesied. Uh, You're doing this because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit has chosen you for this moment. And I just want to underline that to give you a sense of awe about it and not cheapness about it. And to value that gift of prophecy perhaps more than we do. Paul, in fact, goes on from there and wants us to actively desire to prophesy. Follow the way of love, he writes, and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy. And you're going to find out that he really prefers prophecy. If you put him in a corner and say, come on, out of all those gifts that are doing the rounds, which is the one you want everybody in St. Mary's Church to go home with? Do you know which one you'd pick, don't you? Shout it for me. Prophecy. That's the one the Apostle Paul would be saying, look, you might want to speak in tongues. You might want to move mountains. You might want to be the best healer on the block. But I would rather that you prophesy because the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit is involved in this. So eagerly desire the way of love and the gift of prophecy. He also writes, I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. 1 Corinthians 14 and verse 5. And I want you to get a hold of his eagerness and enthusiasm for us to prophesy. You see, prophecy is going through something of a revival and a renaissance in certain aspects of the Christian church. And it's usually predictive prophecy we're talking about 
saying what's going to happen, what God has shown people about forthcoming events or issues out of current events. I don't have a problem with that. But I find in the kind of everyday practice of the ministry of prophecy, it's actually not taken up at all. We either think it's that kind of person who goes in for prophecy. You know, the one who loves shortcuts and drama. When actually we're told that prophecy is something that has a very valuable output. Here they are. Verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 14. It's for strengthening, encouragement, and comfort. Let's just pull them out a bit more. The word strengthening is oikodomio in Greek, and it means to build a house. So it's to give structure to your life. It's to give coherence, if you like, and a sense of inner security and spaciousness. It's to be solid. So it's not to make you flaky. It's actually to make you substantial in where you are in your growth. And if prophecy doesn't have that sort of helping you to build the house of your heart and faith and walk, you're being shortchanged. So there's a sense in which it gives us proper structure in which we can grow. And isn't it amazing, incidentally, that the concentration and teaching of these gifts is given to the original, unique, messy church that is Corinth. I mean, if you want to go to any church that's the wackiest in your neighborhood, it's just up the street from the port of Cancrii in Corinth, and it's absolute chaos of what goes on there. Immorality is rife. There are people who are chasing after their speaking heroes and are competitive with it and all the rest of it. That's a church that finished and passed it, etc. God will probably want to go and talk more to the conservative, reformed Calvinists, you know, who don't get excited about much until it's too late. But it gives these words to a church that actually is not out of control. It's a church that doesn't have structure and substance and a good foundation. And so the use of prophecy given into people's lives is not just to aid and abet, if you like, God's purposes of health and healing. It's to give you structure. And sometimes a single word calls us back to that. I suppose the most common words used when I've heard people speak prophecies over people is... uh, Uh, my child or my son, the Lord loves you, or the Lord give you peace. And I want to make a confession here today, so you probably go off me, not by any of my books, and I'll go home needing healing. (laughs) But I get cynical sometimes. Do you? And I'm going to quote C.S. Lewis uh, for my defense. He wrote in his book, Mere Christianity, that cynicism is the occupational hazard of every serious thinking Christian. I like that. And so when I've heard the overusage of the Lord loves you, it begins to have the same effect as a bland weather forecast. And you don't really receive it. And God help me, I have to be shaken up out of this. And uh, in one particular rather depressing Pentecostal church uh, I was speaking in, uh, I just felt this urge to come upon me to tell him exactly that. God wants you to know that he loves you. And I'm telling God, they already know that, Lord. He said, no, they don't. They, they know it in writing, but they don't know it today. Oh, come on. Have you got something a bit more specific? Something a bit more pizzazz? 
Of course, you wouldn't know I'm doing this because, well, I'm a trained priest, so I'm stood in front of the congregation looking normal, having this kind of thing going on inside of me. And it just wouldn't go away, persisted, which is another kind of indication of God at work. So I just said, God tells you today that he loves you. And I expected them all to go, yes. And about four people immediately start weeping. I said, are you all right? My insecurity says, have I upset you? Are you all right? It's part of my own healing. I've had to go down that journey. And they just said, so much has gone wrong in these last few months. And we just can't believe that God can love us for what we've done. And we all came here to church today asking God for a word. And that's the word that really tells it to us. So we have a little kind of praying time over them. Such a simple word. But there's a timeliness, remember, about the prophetic words. It's not the words, it's the timing sometimes and the intent that God puts in them, which is something beyond your and my knowing. If he was to tell us his purposes, boy, would we get megalomanic about it but just be part of his purposes. And so it's like building a house and a structure and getting back to that safety and place where we can flourish. Secondly, uh, we're told that it brings comfort, sometimes translated as the word, uh, sorry, encouragement, sometimes translated as the word exhortation in some of the older translations. Uh, The Greek word here is parakalesin, which is the same word as paraklete. It literally means he who walks alongside of. And so when Jesus said, I'm going to send you another comforter. I've been walking alongside of you. I'm sending you another. And I've got to go for this one to come. Because this one is going to come for the whole world. I can only come for the ones who are right next to me now. So I'm sending you uh, another comforter. But that word comforter, it's got a kind of blandish feeling that it's come down through all the years. I do remember in holiness churches in Liverpool in the 60s singing, the comforter has come. And we sang it with as much expectation that we'll be first in the queue at the New Year's sales. We had no expectation that the comforter had come. It was just a nice way of saying we're doing all right so far. But you know, if you look at the Bayard Tapestry, uh, which has that drawn out battle scene. Uh, There is that wonderful little piece, isn't there, where you think it says, King Harold comforteth his troops. And you see the picture of Harold with a spear jabbing his soldiers in the rear end, incidentally, in order to give them some impetus to keep fighting the enemy on our shores. That don't sound comfortable to me. That sounds pretty sharp to me, the rear end, Lord. Couldn't you send them a telegram saying, do better, boys. This kind of sharp intrusion, is that God's way? Well, sometimes it is. Because sometimes we need confrontation. Better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. And the psalmist isn't saying it's okay to wound your friends. He's really talking about, well, you know, if, if we upset each other and we're friends, we can do something about it, can't we? And it wasn't badly intended and we can work it out. But the kisses of a friend are very deceitful. And they're for our undoing 
And there are times when the Holy Spirit wants to confront us in what we're doing. Sometimes it can come out quite funnily. I was fundraising for a reconciliation project in uh, the Republic of Ireland a few years ago. And uh, various dignitaries were invited. And one was a guy who was the founder and current CEO uh, of something rather like Waterford Glass. It was called Clarin Glass. And he was, I think, three sheets to the wind by the time he got there. I smelt him, his whiskey, before I saw him come through the door. I'm wearing a dog collar. He makes a beeline for me. He said, I don't know why I'm here. I said, well, you're here so we can get money out of you, just in case you hadn't realized it. He said, well, I don't know why I've come. I, I don't really believe all this stuff. I, I know you're doing good things, but I don't know why I've come. He said, for example, he said, it always worries me. He said, how come God can create a Mozart and a Hitler from the same country. Answer me that. And I thought for a moment and was thinking, what should I say? And God just gave me a prophetic word of exhortation. And I said, I tell you what, God doesn't exist. Does it solve your problem about why Mozart and Hitler both came from Austria? And he went, no. (laughs) Still a question. So I said, so God's not your problem then. Is it? He said, no. I said, if God's not your problem, he could be your solution. Have you thought about that? He said, no. I will be seeing you, I said, before this evening service is out. And you know, at the end of the day, he came up to me and he said, tell me more. And I had the the honor and and the, the humble privilege of leading Jimmy to Christ. And he tells everybody, let me ask you this question. And there's no God. Does your problem go away? No, he said, but you've got a God you can take your problem to. Ba-bum. So he, he made that his ministry point for some time. And incidentally, gave us a few thousand quid uh, for our work. <laughs> Exhortation. There will come a time when maybe the prophetic were challenges. Didn't Jesus do this? Didn't he seek a guy out in the temple he had miraculously healed? Probably the most significant healing for me in the Bible, not Lazarus, he died anyway. I mean, he was used to it, I suppose. (laughs) But the guy in John 5 is the guy who comes to your healing services at the well for 37 years and he doesn't get healed. Now then we can do without. Just being honest with you. (laughs) You know, we want our people to be healed, don't we? Come on. I want God to heal everybody. I'm, I'm cheesed off or it's other equivalents when I don't see it because I want everyone to get healed and I don't understand why God doesn't do what I want him to do all the time. But he wants us to want. That's a good place to start. <clears throat> but there comes those moments when he begins to show us other sides and the confrontational element uh, needs to happen And in John 5, here's the man, and he asks him a question. He doesn't ask anybody else, do you want to be healed? Someone who's been coming for 37 years and apparently having no benefits whatsoever. In fact, he complains, doesn't he? It's not fair. I've been coming to the well for 37 years. Everybody else gets healed. Or those who were fast enough to get into the healing space get healed. So he's seen healing. That's even more galling, isn't it? 
Maybe the healing he wants but isn't getting, he sees others get. And so all that emotional stuff there. He doesn't say, I am trusting the Lord Jesus, even though I walk in the dark. I am holding on to my faith like anything. I'm just making this up. You know, if, you, if you're wondering which new Stuart Townham one I'm singing. He doesn't have any faith. He doesn't have anything to hold on to. In fact, he's a first-class complainer. And Jesus heals him anyway. I love that. Don't you? He doesn't say, have you got enough faith? And do you know the four spiritual laws? Is the Freemasonry in your background? And all these hunts we sometimes do. And there's an appropriateness, incidentally, sometimes, just in case you're going off me. But he doesn't do, he doesn't do this. He's full of complaints, he's full of bitter rage, he's full of anger, and he's full of duplicity as well. Because some people are attracted to the healing ministry because they're in lust with power. The power of God even turns some people on the wrong way. I have seen it. And he's around it, who knows? But he heals him. And we get some evidence that his life's changing because the next time we hear of him, he's in the temple worshiping God. That's a change. But Jesus seeks him out. This is one of the rare occasions in the New Testament that Jesus hasn't quite finished what he started in his prayer ministry. It wasn't a one quick, there you are, you're done. He goes on the hunt, watch out. You may have had a stunning physical healing, but he ain't finished with you yet. And he comes and tracks the man down in his worshiping place and says, see, you're absolutely okay. Don't you go on living the way you have. Otherwise, it'll be far worse. That's not nice. That's not fair. Couldn't you come up to me, Jesus, and say, amazing how you've been healed. Do you want to give you testimony in church next week? Wonderful what God has done for you and all the rest of it. Oh no. He sees beyond the physical into the lifestyle. And he challenges him prophetically. Made him feel very uncomfortable comforting this guy in this way. Now there will be times when perhaps the words that come prophetically to you when we're ministering to people are confrontative. And you do need to be sensible. You do need to trust God. And if you're not sure, wait upon God. Just be open to God. But sometimes the words will be of an exhortatory kind. Not a putting down, incidentally. Not a telling off, necessarily. But actually an exhortation to walk in a better way, in a fuller way. Yep? You got me? Third one is uh, to comfort. And as I unpack this word, it means speaking closely to, with a degree of tenderness. That's rather good, isn't it? Uh, Here's Eugene Peterson's translation of the whole verse. You're letting others know, sorry, you're letting others in on the truth so they can grow and be strong and experience God's presence with you. I remember asking somebody when they said, how did you know that? And I said, well, I just believe God gives me these insights and they're all his and I share them as best I can. And then I asked this person, I said, listen, why would the God of heaven, the God of the universe, the God who's holding multi 
universes together and overseeing the running of planets, who's in touch with the conversations of dictators and kings and knows the exact date of the coming of Christ in this world. Why would that God pass his word to you today? And the answer is, because he loves me. Well, back to that simple truth. And for some people, when the prophetic word comes, for a moment in their life, it's personal. God, you would come and get me like that. Out of all the people you could be messing with today and talking with, you come and find me. And that's one of the outcomes of prophetic ministry. Not to beef us up, but actually to bring us to the place of adoration that God so cares. He seeks us out in many and various ways. And prophecy is only one of them. We're also told in verse 4 of 1 Corinthians 14 that good prophecy builds up the church of Christ. And I think it's a rare gift that we need to recover as the norm in the practice of the church. Are we still okay? Still got some energy for this? Got about 10 more minutes if I'm going to be righteous and finish on time. I want to say a little bit here, just maybe to clarify a few things, of the difference between the office of prophet and the practice of prophecy. The office of prophet, the person whom God sets aside, more or less to have the ministry of a prophet, that's their number one card, as it were, to those moments when occasionally, regularly, or once in a lifetime, God gives you and I that prophetical word that we pass on to somebody else. First thing I want to say is that if God gives you a prophetic word for somebody as you're praying for them, or on any other occasion, it does not necessarily mean you've just been called up to be a prophet. So you don't need to put the word prophet in front of your name. I personally believe there's room for prophets of that stature. In fact, I long uh, for the office of national prophet to be restored in God's timing, don't you? People who do have God's voice and don't necessarily just speak to the church about the world, but speak to the world about the world, and who have such an anointing to do so that that world, whether it's Christian or any other faith, recognizes that that's an authority that's beyond the human to the divine. And we're living in such days of chaos and darkness and undoing, I think, that we need prophets for God to raise them up. Not, as I say, necessarily uh, to tell us the predictive side so much as the mind of God on what's going on in the here and now and some idea of the conclusional outcomes. I think we should be praying for prophets to be raised up uh, in our nation. And we're told that the church was founded first on the work of apostles and secondly, actually uses this batting order of priority, and secondly, of prophets. So I think we need to distinguish that there is the office of prophets, people whom God sets aside to have that particular ministry. I've met one or two people in this country who I am totally convinced have been given that calling, and uh, I respect them deeply. Um, my only regret about being here today 
is that one of these people is doing a day conference on prophecy and fresh expressions today in Leicester Cathedral. And there's a little bit of me that would like to be there because <laughs> I'm greedy. Let's just underline this again and move on to the final bit of this first session. Ephesians 2.20, the church is built on apostles and prophets. Uh, prophets come down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Uh, that's Acts 11, verses 27 and 28. So there seems to be in the early church, there was a peripatetic or roving community of prophets. In fact, in the Old Testament, we had what was called the school of the prophets. I call it a charismatic Bible college myself. But whatever that was about, it's where prophets were nurtured for their public function. In Acts 13 and verse 1, in the church of Antioch, there were prophets and teachers there. Acts 15.32, Judas and Silas uh, were named as prophets. And one is singled out amongst others in the Acts, isn't he? He's mentioned twice. And that's a guy called Agabus, who seems to have a particular function in the emerging church. Twice he comes alongside the leadership process uh, in the emerging church with insights from God, both about the need of the moment and the dangers of making decisions, a kind of warning and encouragement aspect to it. There'll be similarities in what prophets by office do and what we do by inspirational moments. Let me tell you what prophecy does not do generally. There's always exceptions to this stuff. It's usually not predictive or directive, usually. I've scoured through the, the prophets in Scripture, and although there is a, an element of future stuff, the vast bulk of prophetic literature is declaring and revealing the mind of God on a given situation in the here and now. And so, when God addressed something that was going on in the nation, for example, Isaiah 7, where the king is sitting by the canal wondering what to do, because his politics have gone pear-shaped and it looks like there's going to be a revolt and following nations are going to come crashing in and Israel will be no more. Isaiah comes to this man and says, why are you halting between two opinions? Now the king didn't turn around and say, that's news. He knew he was halting between two opinions and it's God saying, because you're doing this, I'm going to do this. It's a consequential outcome from it and encouraged the king to ask for a sign he dithered so he's a bit like church wardens he dithered a little about committing themselves so God gives them the sign of Emmanuel anyway when he comes there is an exception of course there is the predictive element you will find funnily enough one of the, the books in the Old Testament full of predictive element is not amongst the prophets in the Old Testament Jewish Bible. And that's the book of Daniel. It's regarded as history. But the prophetical element is the most predictive there is in Scripture. Fascinating that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Agabus comes to Paul, do you remember? Takes Paul's girdle belt off him and wraps it around his own hands and says, if you go down this road to Jerusalem, this is what the leaders in the city will do to you. Uh, and betray you. Uh, incidentally, they didn't because Paul was forewarned by this prophetic thing. Uh, what actually got Paul caught was actually 
uh, doing ministry and somebody spotting him in the courtyard of the Gentiles with a Gentile and assuming they'd been into the temple breaking all the rules and a mob riot took place. Do you remember this stuff? Well, how can you? You weren't there. You've read this stuff, haven't you? (laughs) And a mob riot breaks out and the Romans have to come and, and quell the riot. And from that moment on, Paul is never free. So he wasn't handed over by leaders. Uh, He was forewarned about that. He was careful who he mixed with. So prophecy of that kind actually helped him to distinguish in his choices that he made. There's about testing prophecy, not by a panel of judges, that is. I find the best tester of whether the prophecy has value and is authentic is the person to whom it's directed. Because you'll know, won't you? You'll know if it speaks into your context and your situation. You'll know the impact it will have upon you, and you can make your mind up uh, about that. Uh, I, had, I had a brother, a younger brother. He died eight years ago on his 60th birthday. <clears throat> his name is Ray. He had um, many illicit relationships in his life. He's one of the few men I know who used to leave his mistress and go and see his wife behind her back. And this went on for years. I took his funeral and six different women, I kid you not, asked for his ashes at the end of the service. This is my colorful, lovable, roguey brother Ray, who was also fabulously wealthy. No, I'm not jealous uh, of him. (laughs) Very attractive, never had kids of his own, as far as I know, but I don't think he ever did. And whenever I used to go home to preach in my hometown of Birkenhead, Ray would say, I'll come and hear you preach, Ted, which is my family patronymic. And I got used to the fact that he said it and nothing ever happened. So I was quite surprised when he walked in the door of this church called Maitland in Oxton in Birkenhead half an hour after the kickoff of the service because I had again assumed he's not coming. And he walks in and I'm sitting halfway down the aisle. So he sits next to me and he said, I thought you didn't start till 11 o'clock. I said, no, it's half past 10. Okay, he said, sorry. Guy at the front, who was a police superintendent, but he's also the worship leader. So it's law and grace, all mixed up there. (laughs) He gets up, fine-tuned. He says, now before Russ comes to speak, he said, I'm just going to sing. Well, he said it like this. Before Russ comes to sing, uh, I'm just going to sing you this song. He said, I was woken up in the night And God just put these words into my heart. So uh, just pin your ears back and uh, I'll just sing it to you. Because they're all, yeah, yeah, this is going to be one of them blandy bland blands, isn't it? And he just started playing. And I can't sing it. He went like this. You're my brother, but you don't know the Lord. You could be sitting right next to me, but be a thousand miles from his word. But I am here today, and I didn't hear the rest of the song because my brother's nudging me. He said, did you put him up to that? (laughs) I said, no, but I know who did. (laughs) And he's like this, is my brother. He's like this. And he came to to me a few times. I'm trusting I'm going to see my brother when it's my time to go home and see Jesus face to face in heaven. But he came to see me on a number of occasions, and he would say, you know, Ted, that wasn't a guy singing, was it? 
And incidentally, he was a rotten singer. He said, it wasn't a guy singing. He said, it was, it was Jesus singing to me. He, he, he knew. This is the only time I've ever heard you preach in 37 years or whatever it's been since the last time. He, he knew. And I said, why would he do that, Ray? Why would the God who runs the universe put a song into a guy's head in the middle of the night and he sings it the moment you get through the door of a church? Why do you think that would, God would do that, do you think? He loves me. <laughs> Say it again. He, he said, God loves me. And I said, I've been praying for 37 flipping years that you would get a hold of that one, Ray, that God loves you. And he said, but I, I, can't, I can't go the way that you've gone. I said, I'm not asking you to. I've just let that love in, wherever it takes you. Just let that love in. I think about it, Ted. I, I said, you keep ringing me, Ray. You keep coming. And as his health deteriorated, my, my brother was an alcoholic as well, uh, as his health deteriorated, we had more of these conversations until over the phone, uh, in his hands-free set as he's driving his Porsche home from work, <laughs> he said, I'm on hands-free. And I said, what does that mean? He said, well, I'm driving the car. He said, but I'm on hands-free phone. He said, uh, pray for me right now. So I prayed the sinner's prayer for my brother, somewhere between Stoke-on-Trent and uh, Knotsford Turnoff, where he was coming on the M6. He was dead the next day, found on the stairs of his house four hours after it happened, and he was 60 years of age. I'm trusting that when I see Jesus face to face, I'm going to see my brother there. He tested that prophecy. I don't mean he sat down with a slide rule. You get me? Is it from God or isn't it from God? What are, what are the ways we know if this prophecy is genuine and authentic? You know, we go into all kinds of horrible, masochistic, sort of in, in, introspective kind of things. I think the point is, did it build you up? Did it challenge you in a way that you move on better in your life? Did he bring something of the tenderness of the God who runs the universe just for a moment in time to where you are now and you know beyond the bland word, the experience? I was loved by God through this. My brother was. And he doesn't know anything like you guys and gals do. Testing prophecy is not about slide ruling as a judging court. It's just saying, what's the impact been? And you can't prove this stuff. It is the Christian faith, not the Christian proof after all. But you take it, you acknowledge it, you ask for God's grace to build on it, and you move on. I'm so enthusiastic about the value of prophetic giving, especially, not exclusively, especially in the context of praying with people. Now, our time's up for this first session, but I'd like to do something. Do you mind, just for a moment, sliding the timetable slightly? Um, kind of confession first. How many of you have never 
eagerly desired to prophesy. Come on, just stick your hand up and put it. You've not really said, oh God, as your word says, I want to prophesy more than speak in tongues. Go on. Okay, thank you. How many of you asked, have asked for God to give you in specifically the gift of prophecy? Okay, we're about even Stevens there. I think it's good to ask, don't you? So can we ask together? That'd be okay? Now, Anne asked me in the kind of dressing room rehearsal bit we did this morning, what are you going to get up to? So what are you going to do? Are you going to give people who don't want to take part an opportunity not to take part? Well, of course I will. And there's no good and perfect way of doing that, but if anything that you're invited to take part in today, for good reasons and frankly for bad reasons, you don't want to do, can you tell us that by doing something silently? That. So that you're not sitting there saying, I don't do this thing. I don't go in for these funny exercises, etc. I'm on a deeper place or I'm in a bad place. Use it to silently pray. We won't bother you if you do this. If you don't, you're fair game. Sorry, you're invited in. <laughs> you're invited in. I'm a great believer in the healing power of not doing it. Because do you know something? There's a time when it's not your time. For good reasons and bad reasons. So I want to honor you as I ask you to honor us uh, as we work together. Would you please just find someone to work with. I'm going to lead you through this very simple way of praying. If you don't wish to do this for good and bad reasons, put your hands together now like that and just be praying for whatever God puts on your heart. But would you just find someone where you're sitting? And would you just face each other a little? I do very simple exercises, by the way. I do very British exercises. Now, listen... That's not the excuse to have a conversation about England's score last night against Fiji or anything like that. But just face each other as best you can in them seats. If you haven't got someone to work with, do the Billy Graham, get up out of your seat. Go find someone. Okay. Let me just give you the setup instructions. Very simple. We're not going to be here for hours. But I just want to take that scripture or those scriptures of eagerly desiring and give you an opportunity to put it into practice. And then we're going to have an opportunity as we move through the day to practice what we've taken the opportunity from. <clears throat> Excuse me. Would you just put your hands open like that? As if as you face the person non-verbally, please, no Catherine Cushman confessions today. It's like we're saying, by the grace of God, I'm being open with you before the living God as I can be. It's almost as if you're holding in those open hands of yours what you're good at, what you're bad at, what have been good moments in your life that have brought bright colors to your heart and what have been wounding shadows maybe that still have some kind of effect. You're all that mixture in its different rhythms. Stuff you can boast about and stuff you hope to God nobody else finds out about. We're just trying to be honest as silently as we can. So just have a moment of quiet as you do that. This is me, Lord.
I'm not pretending to be some ardent, rampant, charismatic evangelical. Me, I'm me. I've been loving you as best I can and I've made real messes at times, but honest to God, I'm here today because I want to move on with you. Here's me, Lord. And I'm offering me in front of somebody else because we want fellowship in this. I don't want to be on my own. And Lord, as I do this with this person next to me, I want to take your word seriously. There's loads of stuff I can go for, but today, Lord, I really want to obey your word that says, eagerly desire grace gifts from God, but especially the gift of prophecy. I want you to give me, however you want to give it to me, gifts of prophecy. Not to keep and polish, but to pass on as and when is best and right. Give me that gift of prophecy as I offer myself to you best I can. And in turns, we're going to take a turn each doing this. Will one of you just put your hand on top of the open hands of the person you're sharing with? Just put it on top. One hand goes on top. That's it. You got it. Okay. Now, as this person's laying hands on you, the best you're trying to be, would you say these words after me, please? God hears the desire of your heart today. You are doing a good thing. You are being obedient to the word of God. And so as you open your life to me, and I lay hands on you as a witness, I call upon the living God to pour out his Holy Spirit on you now and wake you up and give you the gift of prophecy. Give it you more than once. Give it so you can be a servant. Give it so you too can grow. So receive this gift. In Jesus' name, amen. Now reverse roles. Let the person you've been praying for now lay hands on your open hands. Just simple step of faith this. The words are going to be slightly different, obviously, because I haven't written this down. This is just free fall. (laughs) Stay focused, though. As you open your heart to God today, Desire the gift of prophecy. I want to tell you this. You're doing a good thing. It thrills the heart of God that you want the gifts that he can give. Receive, therefore, this gift of prophecy. For one time, for more times, so that you will be a servant for others. I will pass my healing touch through you so that others may grow. In Jesus' name.
Amen. So Lord, as we've just done this simple step of faith, we've said the words, which is the easy bit, but we've opened our hearts as best we can. So will you send out your Holy Spirit, Lord? Will you meet people where they are right now? Will you breathe the breath of heaven inside their open hearts? Will you begin to stimulate, Lord, their imaginations? If you haven't got one, I pray that God breathes the breath of life onto your imagination because it's normal to have one. And if yours is scarred, because I can feel it, there's been a few people in this room who have been put down for having too vivid an imagination. And you've been punished for it. So let God heal you of that and restore to you that kind of risk and excitement about stepping out. Some of you have been getting words and pictures, but you've got hooked on, how do I know this is me and who am I? And I feel God wants to say, you know it's from me because it comes at you and to you, and it's like you're fighting it off. And why you? Well, why not you, says God. Why not you? So would you say yes to me, says God? Would you take this risk because I want you to know I'm working in you to will and to do of my good pleasure? I pray God breathes into you insights today for people that you're going to pray with, that you'll cultivate that listening heart and you'll cultivate that obedient attitude to, if you pardon my specific language, have a go at this in faith in Jesus' name and step out. I think God wants to say, some of you are so frightened of making mistakes, you never start. You just don't start. And you're not safe, you're stuck. They're not the same thing. And so God breathe into you knowing that even when we don't get it perfect, it's on the road to getting it better. And step out in faith. So the Holy Spirit come upon that desire you expressed, whatever level of you it was coming from, and breathe the breath of heaven into your heart today and inflate the sails of your life so you begin to lift off in the ways that God wants you to. In fact, I will put into your minds right now certain individuals that are particularly important for you to pray for. People have been on your heart and there are a number of you here who are saying, we keep praying and we feel stuck and we don't know what to pray for now. We just seem to be going round in circles. The Lord give you his prophetic word as a breakthrough, as a new dimension of adding to your prayers for those people so that you speak them out sometime today. We'll give you a chance to do that. Because some of you are already getting it, I can see. You're getting names coming to you. So say to God, what is the word you want me to speak out to them? Even if they're not in the room, they're present in my spirit of, of faith and practice. So Lord, bless to us this step of faith today and let the work of your prof- prophetic touch rise to a new level in our lives and ministry today. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks for your indulgence. Gone way over time. Treat yourself to a break for a while.